Imagine a table with the choicest of fine food and drink. Look around you and see everyone at the table. People of all backgrounds and races, cultures, income levels, gifts, and abilities. Everyone is here. Listen to the sounds of celebration, laughter and joy, in-depth conversation, sharing of memories, struggles, joys, songs. Watch as those around you turn toward God, repenting together, declaring that they will no longer be enemies to each other and to God. God yearns for us to join this celebration. My experience with the Psalms is that they represent human longing for God and God's love for all of us. From praise to mourning, peaceful understanding and desire for vengeance, festival celebration and prophetic oratory. Always with a bit of mystery, the psalm writers describe true human experience. With all of our gifts, faults, blindnesses, needs, and hopes. I'd love to hear your experiences with the psalms. Psalm 81 begins with a call to the community for the celebration of a festival. Scholars believe that this psalm was sung at the Feast of the Tabernacles, or Sukkot, a harvest Thanksgiving festival featuring the building of temporary booths um, to remember God's provision during the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. The psalm includes a prophetic oracle in verses 5 through 16, with a prophet calling the people to listen, to remember God's loving care during the exodus and their time in the wilderness, and to return to God. Despite their disobedience, God calls for the community to listen, to remember, to turn in order to be fed, and to live. This past week, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington for freedom and jobs, a milestone in the civil rights movement. In 1963, people from all walks of life came together to call the nation to restore rights that had been taken away through prejudice and fear. Speakers at this week's commemoration noted the distance covered in those 50 years and the work still to be done. At Millersville University last weekend, students created hand-painted signs with all the colors of the rainbow, with a black MU standing in front. These signs are being distributed to be placed in windows of offices and buildings across campus. The goal is for members of the LGBT community to see that this campus is a safe place. Despite some recent negative comments in response to the creation of a university commission on gender, and sexual orientation. Over the next weeks, I invite all of us to spend time with this psalm and others, meditating and listening. How do we hear God calling us? How do we remember about God's care for us as individuals and as a community? How does this psalm give us insight into structures that oppress and exclude? Who are our enemies? And how do we interact with them? In what situations are we serving as enemies to others? In what ways can we turn back to God's loving embrace together? 
Psalm 81 states that as we turn in response to God's call, God will feed us in surprising ways. God will feed us with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. God will satisfy us. The familiar passage from Isaiah 55 is echoed here. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. When we, got, when we come to God's table, it is a surprising place. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is here. If you could please turn in your bulletin, there's a half sheet that has the scripture Hebrews 13 on it. And I'll read um, the first part, and then if we can please read uh, verse 6 in unison, and then I'll finish it. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitalities to strangers, for by doing that, some have to entertain angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison, as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said... I will never leave you or forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share, with, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Some of you might remember that a few weeks ago, on Todd's first day preaching here, much mirth was made here about the difficulty of his passage for the morning. I think this passage from Hebrews no less daunting. And now you have a rookie preacher here. Ah, Hebrews. I have to confess that when I see a list of all these things to do, I'm reminded of household chores. Say, mowing, with its mixture of accomplishment and dread. I know that I must do the yard swath by swath, and I read the scripture verse by verse. But no sooner do I clean off the mower, put it in our shed, and turn around, and by the next day, sure enough, I have 
nutsedge coming up, and I have to mow again and again. There is nothing quite so daunting, and I feel my dread. Likewise with the scriptures, I feel that I will always fall short. Following is so difficult, it is never-ending. Well, let me submit to you this morning that we should look beyond that list of admonitions and we should be humbled by two things. First, this passage is written to the early church, and not just any early church, but an early church that was persecuted with some regularity. Many scholars believe that only one of the 12 apostles died a natural death. Experts estimate that martyrs in the early church numbered between 10,000 and 100,000. The book was written prior to 70 AD, and remember that Nero ruled from 54 to 68. So some of the listeners were afraid Some felt that the change in their practices was just too risky. Some were ready to recant, and some were going back to their former ways. So for one thing, when Hebrews talks about being in prison and about being tortured, this is not just an abstract idea. This is real, and this is present. And this is ongoing. This is the reality of the audience of Hebrews. So, certainly, I feel humbled when I compare my nutsedge level of concerns to those of the early saints and what they had to face. Secondly, after this brief list of duties and admonitions, some of which are really quite difficult. Welcome the stranger to your home. Think of prisoners as though you were in prison, as though you were being tortured. Be content. We are not left hanging. We are immediately reminded in verse 5, of God's promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then our fears are immediately addressed in verse 6. The Lord is our helper. We will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Verse 7 gives us some practical advice. We are to look at our faith leaders, consider their lives, and imitate them. This is a minister's manual. So there's practical help. And here I'm reminded of Ron and Goodwin Matthews, uh, my bosses in Mennonite Central Committee work in the apartheid days of Southern Africa. They open-heartedly and warmly welcomed refugees and helped whenever they had a chance. Certainly, 
I am challenged to go beyond the usual guests that we have in our home. This is our guest book, a quaint custom that some of us have when we invite people into our homes. For the millennials, another quaint custom that some of us have. But what good is a faith anyway if we don't have a challenge? Doing good and sharing is a sacrifice that's pleasing. A sacrifice is an offering, a free offering of something precious. It is given from our fount of love. It's not really for its practical outcome. It's a force that's bursting forth from us to our creator. Indeed, our lives are doxology. We cannot hold back. Can you remember back to second grade? For some of us, it is not terribly long ago, and for others, you may have to think a little harder. Do you remember riding the school bus and coveting the very back seat of the bus? Or in the classroom, do you remember rushing to be the first person in line? A handful of years later, do you remember wanting to win the science fair first prize or win best in show at the art show? And now, do you live wanting to be first? Apparently not many things have changed since Jesus' day, and Jesus perceives this very urge to be first and important in today's scripture. The Pharisees have invited Jesus to a Sabbath dinner in a very important Pharisee's house, and it doesn't appear that Jesus is terribly impressed. Perhaps he senses the tension in the room or sees the contemptuous looks, but Jesus doesn't waste any time raising attention to the seats that the Pharisees have chosen. And in classic Jesus form, he tells a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. At this point, just several seconds into Jesus' parable, the Pharisees are beginning to get the idea. The anger is starting to grow, and the Pharisees, who are at the places of honor, are starting to get a little self-conscious by the glances beginning to look their way. Jesus continues. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated you will have to take the least important place. The host is now in a predicament. Should he follow Jesus' parable and rearrange the guests according to who he thinks should be seated in the proper spot? But that would be justifying Jesus, the very man they are trying to prove wrong and find guilty in disobeying Jewish law. So the host decides to do nothing, trying to back away out of the spotlight. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus has now gotten the full attention of the Pharisees seated at the worst place of the table. They're about to shout an amen, but are silenced by the glares from the other Pharisees. The room is now silent. 
all the Pharisees are hanging on every word Jesus is speaking, trying to find a way to condemn him, which was their primary purpose of inviting Jesus anyway. Jesus turns to the host, who is now slowly moving towards the door, and he knows he is caught. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We don't know if the Pharisees understood Jesus' parable or were just too wound up in their own personal ego injury that Jesus has just inflicted, but it is clear that Jesus has a message for all of us to follow beyond the dinner table. Time. Have we held time so closely that we have squelched the needs of others? In the busyness of our everyday life, have we set aside time to serve others? Or have we convinced ourselves that we can serve later another day, maybe when this project is completed or when I have reached this goal, will that day ever come? Holding our time as ours and not God's is very different from sitting at the place of honor at a meal. However, the same intention is behind both acts. By not letting God take control in speaking to us through how we use our time, we are essentially raising ourselves to the place of honor, not humbling ourselves before God letting God use us for his work. Status. Have we been captured by the need and desire to be well-liked and have status? In the pursuit to become well-liked, have we kept in mind that sometimes following Jesus doesn't make us well-liked? Jesus rebukes the host for only inviting wealthy Pharisees. Does that mean we invite just people who cannot, who cannot repay us with a meal? No, once again, we must understand what Jesus' intentions are behind his words to the Pharisees. It is okay to have close friends and relatives who we, we enjoy spending time with and invite them over for meals and fellowship. However, we must be careful about our intentions. Are we inviting our guests to gain something, to advance in status in our community, or because we feel we need to invite them? Instead, we should have hearts of service and compassion. Be willing to know our invitation may not be reciprocated, giving up some of our time and money to be hospitable, and know our meal may not always be as pleasant as a meal shared with people who we are comfortable with. Like the Pharisees, we have been caught up in our lives and as self-serving pursuits, but Jesus calls us to something more. We are called to take time for others, even if it makes us late for an important meeting. We are called to humility, not always doing things the correct way for potential earthly gain, but looking heavenward. Just like Jesus, we need to keep each other in check, questioning each other and our motives behind our actions, pursuing and keeping our eyes towards the kingdom to come.